Well, welcome again to New Life Church. Um, when I say that we are a church that commissions and that trains people up to go out, I am serious as a heart attack. And you're going to kind of, that's going to be in your face this morning, uh, because the next thing that we have is an intern assignment. So one of the entities here at New Life Church is our Northern California Ministry Training Center. You may or may not have heard of that, um, but it is a training center for people that want to go into full-time vocational ministry. They receive Bible training, academic uh, training to the highest level. They come out with a certification saying that they completed all that education. They also complete an internship um, that gives them real world, real time ministry experience and leadership experience. Uh, all of the pastors on our staff have been trained up through this training center. Pastor Troy founded it in 2007, so it actually predates New Life Church, um, but it has trained up dozens of ministers uh, over the years. And right now, we have some students that are in the training center working toward their credentials to become ministers that are completing preaching assignments. So what we do is we don't say, you know, go through these courses for four years, do your time, mow the lawn, scrub the toilets, and then one day you might magically be a pastor. We believe that God doesn't call the equipped but he equips the called. And so these students have demonstrated a call on their life and we're like, praise God, then you're ready to preach the word and we will support you and be your safe place to land as you learn what that looks like. So we have been in a series of teachings from our first year ministry interns. They just started their education in January and they have been tasked with giving us a short word, but that is no less important or anointed than anything else you might hear from this pulpit. So today we have the last in that series. Everett is one of our interns, and he is uh, an intern that serves at our Modesto campus. Some of you may not be personally familiar with him. I am. He is one of the funniest guys that I know, has a fabulous sense of humor, and he does have a call of God on his life. So before we receive our tithes and offerings this morning, would you hear this teaching from future pastor Everett? Welcome him, please. Good morning, how's everybody doing? Um, my name is Everett. Um, I'm the intern at the Modesto campus. Uh, I learned two things this morning. Um, three things, actually. I didn't tell Pastor Trin this. I practiced my message for the final time and videotaped it to see how it was after I added some things. Went back to my room and watched it over time. It was like 22 minutes long. I adjusted it. It's not 22 <laughs> minutes long. Uh, so I learned that one. Be careful what you start writing and keep track of what you're doing. Um, two, have water with you. Um, I got emotional this morning. I practiced and practiced and everything was fine. I told myself not to get emotional. got emotional anyway. Um, and uh, Michael asked me, you know, he's like, do you want some water? And I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. I got my coffee. I got up there about five minutes in. My mouth puckered up. I had to stop right in the middle. I was like, I'll take the water. So I'm going to leave it here just in case. And I'm hoping I don't get emotional. I got really frustrated because once I get emotional, it's, uh, it's hard to stop. So, um, well, like I said, I'm, I'm, Everett, I'm really actually kind of excited to be here. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I was nervous months ago. Uh, we went into class one day, and we're, we come into class, and I'm sitting there thinking we're going to go over our reading assignments that we went over, what we got coming up for the test, 
And lo and behold, Pastor Tori walks in and says, we need to talk about your preaching assignments. And I was like, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't realize the first year we're going to be up here talking. I don't care if it's five or ten minutes or what, but I was like, uh, I wasn't expecting that. But that's cool. When the boss tells you to do something, you do it. Um, our choices were communion or uh, giving. Now, being new, I always thought communion was pretty kind of technical. You got to know more about what you're doing and all this stuff. So I, was, I really didn't want to touch communion. So I thought I would try tithing or giving. Um, knowing that I've always had a problem with giving and tithing. Um, I've struggled with it growing up. Um, even being in the church, I never understood it. Um, but I think we all know, God knows what we're going to choose, what we're going to do, or what he has planned for us. So I picked, I picked giving, and um, I learned my lesson. God taught me. Um, but it was a good lesson to learn. Um, and basically, I've never wrote a message. You're actually my second message ever given. Uh, River Islands was my first. Uh, so this is my second one ever. I wasn't sure how to write a message except for looking at Pastor John and Pastor Troy's, um, their samples that they, they give us to follow in the, in the sound room. Um, so, but the Holy Spirit told me just start with a testimony. So that's what I decided to do. I have, a, I, had a fr I have a friend and I asked him if I could use his testimony and he was more than happy to let me do it. Well, this friend, he's, um, he's an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. Um, he had been drinking for a long time. He started probably when he was 16, like a lot of kids do, um, or a lot of kids I knew did. Uh, he started then. He drank for probably over 35 years. Um, his life was in chaos, uh, bad relationships, one after another. He, uh, his body was falling apart in a job that he hated. But um, he finally got to a point, he grew up in church, he knew God was the answer. But even after going through three rehabs, he finally got to a point where he was tired. I don't know if anybody ever has been in here in that situation, but he was tired. So he asked, he asked God to, to take that from him. And the reason I wanted to bring this testimony up was because sometimes we, when we get up here and talk about giving, we automatically focus on money or tithing, which is important. I am going to talk about that. But the other side of that, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that when we give our life over to God, when we give our sins over to God, it's just like the tithing, the tithing or giving our money. We have to be able to act on that and, and understand that God's going to bless us when we give, whether it's money, whether it's our heart. So I, I wanted to tie that in along with the tithing. Now, this, my friend was an alcoholic on top of all of his other problems. God didn't stop just with the alcohol. When he asked God to take it away, he saw the sincerity in his heart. And from that day, he hasn't drank again. And that's been a while. Um, but on top of that, he didn't stop there. He had, um, like I said, he had, his body was falling apart from his work. And he went through four surgeries in one year. And this is where I start getting emotional. Um, he had carpal tunnel surgery on both, both hands. He went through that. He already knew he had a bad knee, but they focused on the hands first. Um, the doctor tried multiple things for the knee after the hands were done, and they healed up. Um, come to find out, there was no other, nothing else they could do but do a full knee replacement. Well, like I said, it was his job that pretty much caused all these injuries, even though the, the work denied it. So he started a workman's comp claim while all this was going on. 
lost his job because of it, and on disability. So he was nervous about the money because he wasn't sure how long he was going to have his insurance. And I'll come back to that part. I just wanted to let you know that part. Um, but the doctor decided to do the knee surgery. But the doctor decided to do that knee surgery, and it was about February 2020. And I think we all know what happened. COVID hit. All, um, all the voluntary surgeries were cut out. So it, and that's why I brought up the money thing with the job, because he was starting to get really stressed out on how am I going to pay these bills. Um, but two months later, not that everything else wasn't bad enough, he started having chest pains. Um, he finally went to the emergency room and come to find out he had a 98% blockage in his heart, in his main, main artery. So they... Um, Kept him in the hospital, he had two stents put in, and then um, I don't know if anybody knows much about the heart and the surgeries and stuff, but once you do that, you start certain medication that you can't stop, which means you can't have surgeries. So he was stressed out, worried about his knee. Thankfully, God blessed him again, and um, he talked him in after three months because there was no severe heart damage they allowed the surgery to happen on the knee. And um, the real blessing in the whole thing was his doctor told him later that um, if he would have had that surgery on his knee in February, he probably would have died because no one knew about the heart. So um, that's the testimony about my friend. And... Um, and you're probably wondering, if you haven't figured it out by now, or wondering who this friend is, well, that, that was me. And um, that was two years, nine months, and 13 days ago. Um, and October 11th, I'll have three years sober. Um, hopefully I'll stop now. Uh, it gets better. I, I recovered well. Everything went good. God like, really blessed me. And I think it all started the moment. It wasn't me giving money or doing any of that. It was just me surrendering. Um, it's, it's list is long of everything he did for me. That's part of what I cut out. Just to sum it up, he, he took really good care of me. He's always been, he's been taking me really good care of me, especially this last year and a half. Um, like I said, the, there was a settlement finally. Um, I prayed to God, just please, it got to the point after the knee surgery, I was just, please get the settlement done, because I just want to get it solved. I want to need to pay my bills, pay my medical bills. Well, the settlement came through. But before that, I made a deal with God. I mean, you don't need to raise your hand, but I, I'm assuming there's some people out here that's been in that situation where you have problems, and it's like, God, do this for me, and I'll do this for you. And that's pretty much what I did. I just made a deal with God. And I told him I would tithe off that settlement. I got the settlement. And I did tithe off of it, but it was more of an obligation because I promised them something. It wasn't, you know, I, I felt like it was kind of grateful at the beginning, but it really wasn't. It was just an obligation that I felt like I had because I never tithed after that. I was still getting my uh, Social Security money, um, and I never tithed off it. And I, I had always been convicted on that. And I would always come up with these statements, what I call I statements, um, I always come up with, when I got paid, it was like, well, I have to pay my bills first. I got to make sure I have food first. I got to make sure I have to have gas first. 
And I would always bring these I statements up, and it was like I was basically saying, I'll take care of this. I don't trust God to take care of this, or I don't have faith that God's going to take care of me. And, it was, you know, it's kind of like the disciples. He'd do miracles and miracles around them, in front of them, and they would still doubt. And I must have just, like, Jesus had to get, been getting frustrated over it, over and over again. He's like, what do I need to show you to make you understand that I'll, I'll take care of you? Just do what I ask you to do. And, and tithing is one of them. Um, so I wanted to read a scripture. Uh, Ashley already used it, but that's okay, because we all know that if you read a scripture over and over and over again, you'll still get a different, something different out of it every time you read it. Um, it's Malachi, um, Malachi 3.10. Um, I'm going to be using the English Standard Version. I got that new uh, Fire Bible, and I really like the, I like the way it words everything. Um, but what it basically says is, uh, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, what stuck out to that, in that scripture to me was the fact that I just found it strange that God would come up and t tell you to test him. You would think that's like something you don't want to do. You know, I mean, why would you test God? Um, but he tells us to test him and to see what will happen. And, and that's what I decided to do. But, you know, I, I, and knowing the way I was brought up, I still struggled. So I went, I actually talked to Pastor John about it because I've struggled for years. And, um, I just, and he gave me a book. It's called The Blessed Life. If you haven't read it, I suggest you read it. I'm, I'm honestly not a big reader. Um, if it's written by ESPN or the National Football League, I'm interested. But it's hard to get tied up and stuff like that. But this one really like, spoke to me. And it, um, it, it made me want to tithe. There's a lot of stuff it talked about that I don't have time to um, go into. But it, it really broke it down and explained the reasons that we tithe. And... Um, so from that point, I decided to start tithing. Um, the problem is, I, started, I wanted to start tithing, but then I started bringing up these I questions again. It, it was like constant. It doesn't matter what happens. I will still try to talk myself out of it. The very first month I was supposed to tithe, I started doing that. Well, it was like, the, it was like God was trying to give me a kickstart, which he probably shouldn't have to do, but he, I guess he figured he would anyway. Um, I make $1,978 with my Social Security, so I'm supposed to tithe $197 a month. Well, I talked myself out of it, but the very next day, I had a friend that I would have never, ever expected to pay me back. Um, she called me and said she got her, um, her, st her stimulus check, and she wanted to at least pay me half of what she owed me. It was $200. And um, so... What did I do? I, you know, I was like, of course, because I'll use that to tithe. You know, I was like, now I can tithe, and I don't feel bad about it. Well, I drove out there, and guess what I did? I was like, well, I drove out there, and I spent my gas money. So I gave the church 180 and put $20 in gas. Uh, I still cheated God $17. And when I got back to the church, I was kind of happy about it, but then someone was telling me, you know, you're wrong. You, you, know, you still owe God $17. Well, I went back to my room that night, and I finished the book. That was the third day, and I finished the book. And I got so convicted, uh, it was like 11.45 at night, which is not the safest thing to do, but I drove down to the ATM. 
I pulled out 40 more dollars. I paid the 200, I paid the 20 for the money I owed him for the 17, and I also paid 20 on the money that my friend gave me. Um, which technically I paid three dollars extra. So I was thinking, if God charges interest, I'm not taking no chances. So I just threw it in there with it. Um, but I'm still tight. But now I'm tithing today. I got I'm not going to pull it out. When I first wrote this, I was like, I'm going to pull it out, show them this receipt. Um, and it's not the boast. It's more of a reminder for myself. Um, I still got that forty dollar receipt in my pocket. Um, so it's about the heart. It's about the why you give. And um, and that was my problem for the longest time. And um, but I'm telling you what, since I've done that, he's like blessed me in more ways, and I don't have time to bring them all up. But there's been like tons of stuff. He, he doesn't let me go without. I'm not rich. It's not a get rich quick scheme. But I mean, it's it's real. And if you put your faith in God, He will take care of you. Um, and I just want to read this. This is one thing I didn't want to take out that I added. Uh, we've been going through this um, series with Pastor Troy. And um, it's really spoke to me. And um, it's gone along. We're starting a new recovery program here in a few weeks. Um, they're letting me lead it. Thank God. I've been trying to do this for a while. Um, but it, and his message has been going right along with that. Um, I decided to call it The Bright Side of Broken. Because um, my point is, there's a bright side to all of our brokenness. And, um, and if we give faithfully, whether it's money or our hearts, God will be faithful to carry us through. And that's it. Everett, thank you. I think that that was more than a teaching, that was a vulnerable moment. So can you thank Everett one more time for spending his time with us today? We bless you, brother. We know you're jetting out to do your third gathering of the day. So all those traveling mercies to you, sir. And we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings today. It is not about what you give. It is about why you give it is about your heart that was beautiful and i love hearing the stories about how god gets into the little details of our lives not just to convict but to encourage so in just a moment we're going to have um a uh, bag coming around that uh, you can give your tithes and your offerings in uh, my sister norma is going to come around if you want to give by cash or check today uh, we try to hit all of the notes because we know everybody gives a little differently today um, so there is a credit debit card kiosk at our connect corner in the back of the room and if you're joining us online or you just prefer digital giving because it's easier um, there's a website newlifeca.church give or there's a number on the screen you can text your campus to uh, Lathrop if you go to the Lathrop campus or online if you go to the online campus um, it's a way to give and we do that because we never want you to miss the opportunity to be obedient to the call of Christ so thank you very much for your faithfulness well I am I mentioned a little bit earlier I'm Trin I am one of the pastors here at um, New Life Church I am the Lathrop campus pastor so I pastor uh, this particular campus it's my honor to be a part of of this campus um, my husband uh, pastor Brian uh, in addition to one of our other campuses he also uh, pastors our online campus and I want to say a big hearty hello to those of you that are joining us online thank you for being here today if you're here even online you're a part 
part of this. Um, and we are mid-series. So if you haven't heard the first two messages in this outrageous prayer series, uh, certainly um, you should go back and listen to them. They're on the website. They're on our uh, Apple podcasts and all the other kinds of podcasts that are not quite as good as Apple. Um, you can go check those out. Uh, but we're in the third, um, third part of this series, the finale of this series called Outrageous Prayers. And Pastor Troy has been talking about prayers that are not predictable, they're not benign, they're not safe. We're learning to pray outrageous prayers. And I have been really blessed and thankful that you've been willing to share with me what God is doing inside of you as you pray those prayers. In week one, we learned to pray from Psalm 30, uh, 139, search me God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And the biggest hurdle for me on that one was that I learned that one in the King James Version. So learning it in <laughs> in um, more modern text was a little different. And then last week we talked about the outrageous prayer, break me God. Today we're going to pray uh, what might be my favorite of the three. Uh, we're going to pray a prayer of availability. So here's what we've noticed as a pastoral team. Last year was 2020. It was the year of like all kinds of things. Everybody has stories from 2020 and a lot of bad things happened, but there were also a lot of good things that God worked in, in all the chaos that happened in 2020. And one of my favorite pandemic blessings was the advent of one of our biggest and best ministries, Nightly Prayer. So you heard on the video a few minutes ago, every night at 8 p.m., our church gathers together on Facebook, and we pray every night. We call it our nightly live prayer at 8 p.m., and what, what, what happens is a different staff member every night goes live and prays over the needs of our church, over the needs of our city, and um, we join together and we connect together in that prayer time every single night. We don't skip a night unless we forget, which has happened a few times, but we don't skip a night. Um, and that, that was birthed out of our desire to pray through the shutdown, um, but it became more than that. We have become known um, all over as a church that prays, not just when we gather together physically, but all the time. And we receive prayer requests for that. Uh, we remind you all the time, if you have a prayer request, you can put it on your Connect card. That's the purple card in front of you or behind you. Let us know. Um, you can go on the website. There's uh, newlifeca.church slash prayer. We want you to submit those requests. That's what connects us together. We pray for one another. But here's what we've, we've noticed, what I've noticed, what you've probably noticed, is that we, we give our prayer requests Typically, because it just makes sense, for things that directly impact us or the people that we love. God, would you heal my grandma or my spouse or my child? God, will you help me find a job or will you provide for me? God, will you help me get into this school? God, will you bless me as I da 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 da? And we absolutely should pray these prayers. There's no buts about it. We should present our requests to God. And we should make our requests to God and we should additionally be constantly praying an outrageous prayer. We pray, God, would you do this for me? And we pray, God, what can I do for you? That is a prayer of availability. 
For the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Troy has been saying that this series might have the potential to become what we call an anchor message in your life. Uh, over your lifetime, as you follow Jesus, there are going to be certain messages, certain words spoken over you, certain written words that you read that are just going to hit you a certain way in a certain season, and, and it will cause you to encounter God in such a way that it literally changes the trajectory of your life. It's like an anchor gets dropped in your life, like there's a, a spike drawn on the ticker tape. It's a moment that changes everything. You were one way before, and you're another way after it. And that doesn't have anything to do with the speaker or the writer. It has to do with the content and what God is speaking to you, specifically to you in the message. The outrageous prayer of availability might be one of your anchor messages. When you pray the prayer of availability, God could direct you in a lot of different ways. He might reveal a calling on your life that you never expected. He might lead you to go somewhere when you thought for sure you were supposed to stay here. Or he might lead you to stay somewhere when you thought for sure you were supposed to go somewhere else. He might move you to change relationships, to break up, to break off, to take a break. He might lead you to a different job or a different career entirely. He might call you to serve somewhere you hadn't considered or somewhere you hadn't wanted to consider. He might call you to be a cat person when you were a dog person. Please, God, no. I don't claim to know what God wants to do in every individual hearing this, but I do claim to know without a doubt that God has something that he wants to say to you and something that he wants to do in you. So we're going to learn how to pray this prayer this morning. All throughout the Bible, we see that God calls people. It doesn't mean your phone rings. It means that God moves on us. He prompts us. He leads us to say something, to do something, to go somewhere, to encourage someone, to speak truth. God will call those who know him to do something he wants done. We haven't even gotten to the prayer yet. God just calls. He does. When we accept Jesus, we're filled with Holy Spirit power, and the Holy Spirit gives us discernment and the ability to hear the call of God. He'll call whether we ask him to or not, because God created us to be called by him. The outrageous part comes in how we respond to God's call. And so today I want to talk about the three ways that we could respond to the call of God. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. I hope you brought your Bible today. If you need one, we have them. No charge, no questions, just let us know, and we'll get you a Bible. There's also an app you can download called the YouVersion app, and it will be on your screen. But I want to go through the Bible with you. So to the book of Jonah, and as you're turning there, I want to remind you that we are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-studying church. I'm going to say that again. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Bible studying church. And so to that end, in a couple weeks, we've been talking about how we're going to begin a series, a 31-week series in our entire network called The Story. And the story is a selection of scripture that's been put into a book in kind of a novel format, but it's scripture 
in chronological order. You may not know the Bible is not written in chronological order. I promise not to tell you how it is written. I'm a huge geek about that stuff. If you want to know what order the Bible is written in, let's go to coffee. But it's not written in chronological order other than Genesis is the beginning and Revelation is the end. So this has been put in chronological order so we can get an idea of the events and the situations and the locations of what happened throughout the Bible and how it all connects together. We're going to go through it for 31 weeks as a network. The message at every gathering, at every campus, including online, will be about the chapter for that week. The kids will be studying the exact same chapter in a kid format. So it's, it's actually been put into storybooks and to, to preteen books and to teen books that explain the exact same story and concepts to them. The teens will go through the same text in Tuesday night youth group every single week. And uh, t- parents of teenagers, uh, they're actually moving to the Lathrop campus because, and I want you to hear this this morning, they outgrew the home they were in. They cannot fit any more teenagers. They really couldn't fit the teenagers they had um, into the home they were meeting in. And so they're actually moving this giant room that you're in right now. They need this one. Um, So our teenagers will be coming together and they're not like coming together to play games. They're coming together to study the same word that we're studying. I think that's pretty cool. And we're going to have a weekly group. Every campus will have their own weekly group where we'll come together and we'll go over, we'll talk, we'll delve deeper into the word. And here at this campus, that group is going to be beginning on Mondays, um, on August 16th, every Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. right here in this room. Now, I want you to hear me. If you're online, Pastor Brian has more details for you on how you can be involved. But if you're at the Lathrop campus... Every Monday, beginning August 16th, 6 to 7 p.m., here in this room, we're going to have tables set up. I want you to come. I want you to be a part of what God is doing. You're going to talk. You're going to listen. You're going to learn. You're going to write it down, and you're going to do something with it every week. There will be child care available because I needed it. And you can use it too. Um, But I want you to be here. And what we're actually going to do, just because I love you so much and I feel like we never get enough time together, is I'm going to open the auditorium up at five, um, an hour before, and you can just bring your dinner. If you want to bring McDonald's, if you want to bring your PB&J, just brown bag it and bring something to eat. And we're just going to eat together, eat dinner together. Um, And then for an hour, six to seven, we'll get out of here because, again, children, bedtime. Uh, We'll get out of here at seven o'clock, but we want you to come and be part of that for 31 weeks. It's a big ask. You notice I'm not having you sign up. That's because you're signed up. Congratulations. You're a part of the group. I love you, and I'll see you here every Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. It is imperative that we participate in this because it's going to be a season of accelerated growth, not just in numbers. Although, look at me. It will grow in numbers, and we will embrace that because we are a church on the move. But this is going to be an accelerated growth season of discipleship. We're going to learn more about the Bible than we ever have. Whether you've read it cover to cover many, many times or you've never, ever done this before, we're all going to learn more than we knew before, and we're going to do it together as a family. So let's read together in this wonderful Bible that God has given us. In Jonah chapter 1, I want to read you verses 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen. You've got to flip around. A little. There's, a, there's a lot of books in here. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittite. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What did Jonah do? Jonah ran away from the Lord. He said, here I am, God. I'm not going. Here I am, God. I'm not going. I wonder how many of you have had a similar experience to that. You felt prompted to do something. I'm supposed to reach out. I'm supposed to say something. I'm supposed to help someone. Here I am, God, and here I will stay. Not today. I'm not going. Unless you believe that I am only talking to you, I want to remind you that I am preaching to myself, kind of preaching to the choir, because I sing. All right. If you don't like jokes, this is going to be a long next few minutes. My son is four. Uh, he's been playing t-ball this summer. Tiny Tots t-ball for three and four-year-olds. It's big stuff. Major leagues. And one thing that this experience has taught me is that we are not a sports family. We're not cut out for it. It's not our deal. Which is funny because what became apparent, and I'm serious, through all of this is that my son is talented, like really talented. Like people were, not me, because I don't know, but people were noticing, um, which is obviously like a huge bummer because I don't want him to play sports. I'm, I'm really trying to ignite a passion in him for something that we can do indoors. Like something that one may not have to travel for or spend their life savings on the equipment for, perhaps something that I care about. Because I can tell you, baseball's not it, all right? But, um, but we have fun out there, outside. Triple digit heat, no shade. Late afternoon, cranky from nap, but nobody had had dinner yet. We have fun. It's supposed to be 45 minutes every week. That's what the schedule said, 45 minutes every week. But one of the rules for the team is that every kid gets to hit. And there's like 15 kids on each team, and it's not like, it's not fast-paced. Every kid gets a chance to stand at the tee and swing just until they hit it. And if only 30% of the kids have a meltdown at bat, which is like a generously low percentage, the math is not 45 minutes. But we have fun. In the dirt. And the dust. The field is it's just dust, which is fine. So it's the other team's turn to bat, and our kids go out on the field, and they're little, you know, so they don't, they don't know where to stand. So the little coach... But the little 12-year-olds, they put out cones, and each kid is supposed to stand next to one of these little orange cones while the other team bats, which again is like 15 kids, like an hour apiece. And so it's this group of three and four-year-olds standing out on the field. They're just supposed to stand next to a cone. And so what happens, is, and I'm not going to lie to you, my kids started this, okay? What happens is there's just this cloud of dust hanging over the field, over the complex, over the city, just a cloud. And every once in a while, a little breeze, just one little bit of breeze, swirl the dust away. And you see 15 kids out on the field using their cones like pickaxes in the dirt. They're just little, hi-ho, hi-ho. It's, uh, you know? We had fun sitting there 
with my husband. Some good quality time, get to know each other a little better. Like who knew that my husband of 10 years was actually competitive to the point of lunacy? He's whispering in my ear, and again, it's a thousand degrees outside, and he's whispering in my ear what he believes the score is. Because they don't keep score, it's three and four year olds, but my husband doesn't agree with this. And he's keeping score of a scoreless game and he's getting mad about how they call it. <laughs> Nobody's calling it, he's just mad. And my son, my little four-year-old precious boy, is having trouble because his dad coached him before we got there, and he's ready, and he steps up to bat, and he swings, and I told you he's talented, and I, I really mean that. He swings dead on hit, first time, on, only, kid to do, only kid to do that, and he takes off, just like it's the Super World Finals Finale Series Cup event, and just starts running around the bases, and he rounds first, and he's just chugging, you know, in those $7,000 pants my husband got him for T-ball, and he rounds second, and he slides into third, because he has this thing where you have to slide into third no matter what, and then he gets up, and he makes for home, and, and nobody's going to get him out, because again, they're all, you know, hi-ho, hi-ho, nobody's watching the game. And, and so he goes for home and all the little coach little boys are yelling at him. They're like, you have to come back. You were supposed to stop at first because that's how you have to play it. When every kid gets to bat every time, you get one base per hit no matter what. And so my son is like befuddled because he's like, I'm giving you gold, man. Like, I'm going for it. And, and they're like, no, you have, to, you have to go back to first. And so he just stands there at first while little Connor has a 20-minute meltdown at the tee. And he just looks around, finds himself a cone, and just, hi-ho, hi-ho. <laughs> Boy, we had fun. Really had lots of, lots of fun, lots of people, lots of other families. I'm an introvert by nature, so it was fun. As we went week after week, it really was fun. We got to know the other students and the families, and I would pray for them. I would just walk in around, and as we're going in, as we get to know, it just became my habit to pray for the people around us. And so Tuesday is the last game, and we're walking out of the complex to our car with our kids, and it's bedtime. We've got to get home. Because somebody thought, three and four-year-olds, let's do it right up against 7.30. That sounds like a good idea. And we end up walking out with this family who has a couple of kids close to our kids' ages, and one of them's on my son's team, and we're actually parked next to each other. So we're walking out with all of our children in all of our contraptions that carry children. And we're talking about the things that people in my stage talk about. We're talking about how to get children to sleep longer. We're talking about minivans and the statistics on different years and all that. And we're loading up the kids, and we're talking over the hoods of our cars. And I said, well, we really enjoyed getting to know you guys. God bless you. And there was this flicker. Just this tiny little flicker in her eye. And I felt a stirring. It happens a lot. When you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, it, it's kind of what I would call a softening. It's a sudden understanding that if I just pushed just a little bit, just said another word, we would step into a real conversation about God. But behind me, in my minivan, my girls are screaming and crying. My son is begging for a cookie, and stuff's falling out of the trunk. My husband's trying to shove it all in there, and I just didn't. I started out the day with the best of intentions. 
I had been praying for this particular family, but the opportunity came. And it wasn't that I was afraid. That happens sometimes. I would say this was kind of worse. It would have been an inconvenience for me to step into that conversation. And to my shame, I didn't. Here I am, God. I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. It's too much work for me. I said I was all in, but when it comes down to it, God, I'm not in it for all of it. Maybe you've had that experience too. Here I am, God. I'm not going. There's another example of how we can respond to God's call in Exodus 3, verse 10. It says this, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Jesus. And it goes on into verse 11. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Jesus? Excuse me, and bring, bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God in this mountain. And they continue to talk through this. They continue to talk back and forth. You can hear Moses' stress and strain and anxiety as he talks back to God. And ultimately what he says is, here I am, God. Send someone else. Here I am. Send someone else. Send my brother. This isn't my perfect calling. He said, who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. Someone else would be better at it than I am. You need to send someone else. It's really easy for us to do this. I'm not going to give. They should give. They've got more money. I'm not going to serve. They're the ones with all the talent. They should do it. I'm not going to go. I don't have as much time. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's got the time. And all the stay-at-home parents in the room said no. Because everyone else's situation always looks better, more convenient than ours, easier than ours, more flexible and forgiving than ours. But if someone were to say the same thing to us, you do it. You've got the time or the money or the energy or the skill. We would say, you have no idea. We all think he can do it or she can do it or they're better equipped. You ought to see, God, that you should send someone else. And the truth is that quite often this is pride masquerading as humility. And that's a sin. When we look at what God wants us to do and say that we're not ready to do it, we're not really saying that we're not able to do it. We're saying that God's not able to do it through us. And that's wrong. So Jonah said, here I am, I'm not going. And Moses said, here I am, send somebody else. But there is another way to respond to God's call. It's the one that I believe God's challenging us to pray today. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 6. That's our main text today. And I want you to read this with me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, then I heard, this is Isaiah speaking, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Isaiah didn't question it. He didn't ask any questions at all. What he did is he signed a blank contract and said to God, here I am, send me. And this is an outrageous prayer. 
Now, spoiler alert, the challenge for this week is going to be to pray this prayer every day this week. But I believe for some of us, this will become part of our daily prayer life. And it's going to look different for everyone because we each have our own individual, intimate relationships with God. Pastor Troy has said that he prays his version of this prayer every day, and he actually uses his hands. God, I give you my mind. I give you my eyes. I give you my mouth. May I speak what you want me to say. May I hear only your truth and have the wisdom to reject what's not true. Here are my hands. May they be used to build your kingdom. Here are my feet, God. Lead me where you want me to go. Help me to do what you want me to do. God, here I am. Send me. For me, I've used the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 as the framework for my prayer every day for many years. And when I pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done, here as it is in heaven, I actually physically point from where I'm praying. Where my house is, I point to my left in the direction of the church building as I pray for my entire church family. I point in the direction of each of my family's homes as I pray that God's will would be done in their lives. I actually have a, I point to each of my family's doors because I get up to pray before them. I point at my bedroom door when I pray for my husband, at my daughter's door when I pray for her. I have two kids that share a room and they have a six panel door. I have a different panel I point to. God, let your will be done in my son. Let your will be done in my daughter. And I put my hands on my heart every day and pray, God, your will be done here in me. And I want to challenge you, dare you, motivate you to pray a similar prayer. God, I'm available. You have permission to interrupt me. God, if you want me to go somewhere, I'll go. If you want me to stay, I'll stay. If you want me to say something to somebody, I'll speak. If you want me to be quiet and pray, I will pray. If you want me to give something away, if you want to use my time, whatever you need me to do, wherever it is, here I am. I am available. I am your servant. Here I am, God. Send me. And that's an outrageous prayer because when you start praying it, I guarantee you that God is going to interrupt you and prompt you and move on you. And suddenly you'll recognize that God has a lot for you to do when you pray this prayer. So how do we get there? How do we fully surrender our, God, our lives to God? Well, we're going to look at Isaiah's experience. And his experience leading up to this prayer, it shows us that we will see three things you need to fully surrender to God. And if you write things down, which you should, write this down. In fact, there's note cards in front of you and pens. Write this down. Three things you need to fully surrender to God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah saw the presence of God. He saw him in all his majesty and his glory. And the rest of the text talks about how he saw these angelic beings that were worshiping God and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah saw the presence of God, when he experienced the glory of God, it totally transformed him. So the first thing you need to be fully surrendered to God is you need a genuine experience with the presence of God. What is causing you not to be available to God? 
Uh, maybe it's that you have not recently experienced the presence of God. Maybe because you're not available enough to it. Maybe because you haven't sought after it. Because when you experience his presence, you will be transformed. One of the biggest lies in our culture that people believe is, I'm a good person. You're a good person. He's good. She's good. We're good people. Let me tell you this. You are not a good person. And I am not a good person. Welcome to New Life. <laughs> we tell the truth here. And the truth is, you're wicked. I'm wicked. We're evil. We didn't just make mistakes. We sinned. We're despicable in the eyes of God because the eyes of God are holy. Now why am I telling you this? Because in addition to a genuine experience with the presence of God, another thing you need to fully surrender to God is you need a genuine awareness of your sinfulness. Isaiah 6 chapter 5 says this, Woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He said, I'm done. I'm nothing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. He is. I'm full of sin. In the face of his glory, I'm ruined. I can't stand the presence of God when I am this unholy and this unworthy. When Isaiah saw the goodness of God, he realized the badness of himself. He saw how holy God was, and in that moment, he saw how unrighteous he was. He was aware. To be in a place of genuine surrender, you need to be able to have an experience with the presence of God and an awareness of your own sinfulness. And finally, and here's the good news, you need a genuine understanding of God's grace. When you understand just how amazing grace is, it brings you to a point of full surrender. Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim, that's one of the holy beings that he saw, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah knew that he would be ruined if he looked upon God when he was unholy. But in one touch of God's goodness... His sins were forgiven and completely atoned for. Your lying lips, forgiven. Your lustful attitude, forgiven. Your self-centered thoughts, forgiven. Your rageful outbursts, forgiven. Every sin you've never told anybody before. Not only does God know them, but think on this. He was there. Even if nobody else saw, he did. And yet God forgives those sins. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember them anymore, not because he can't, but because he chooses not to. When you confess your sins to God, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. When you understand the grace of God, it transforms everything. Just like the coal touched Isaiah's lips, the blood of Jesus touches our hearts and covers our sins. We don't bring anything. Jesus brings everything. 
We don't bring anything. Jesus brings everything. When we experience God's presence, when we're aware of our sinfulness, when we experience the grace of God through Jesus, our only reasonable response is everything. Here I am, God. Send me. It isn't an I've got to pray this prayer. It's I get to pray this prayer. It isn't that I've got to serve him. It's that I get to wake up and use this day for God. It isn't I've got to serve Jesus. It's I get to serve Jesus. And it's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. If you have called on Jesus, you've been transformed. And from that moment on, there's a war going on inside of you. Dial in with me here for a minute. There's a war going on between your flesh and your spirit. Your flesh and your spirit. Your flesh is not your skin, it's your own selfish desires. And your spirit is the spirit of God inside of you. And they're at war. Your flesh wants you to do something else. Here I am, God, I'm not going. Here I am, God, send someone else. But your spirit wants you to do what God wants you to do. Here I am, God, send me. How do you win the war? We feed what grows and we starve what dies. We feed what grows and we starve what dies. If we feed our flesh, if we, if we feed into that, give me, give me, it's all about me, what about me? I'm too important, I'm too valuable. Or that false humility, I just could never possibly do that. That's feeding the flesh. And the more we say those things, think those things, believe those things, operate in those things, the more the flesh grows. Or we can deny our flesh and feed our spirit. I'm in the presence of God. I'm seeking God. I'm in his word. I'm growing. I'm connecting with others in the, the spiritual community. We're sharpening one another. I'm using my gifts. I am the church. Your spirit begins to grow and your flesh begins to die. And as you draw closer to God, you recognize him more and more. That's why the apostle Paul said, I die daily. So when we experience the presence of God, when we're aware of our own sinfulness and when we experience the glory of God, then our response is, yes, I'm in. There's a story about a church as we close today that, as we close up this part today, there's a story about a church that had one door. And everybody would come in through that door and everybody would go out that one door. And it was really cool for the pastor because he could stand right there at that door as people were leaving and he could talk to everybody. Kind of wish we had one door. We have a whole bunch of doors, so I try to snag y'all before you leave. Come up and say hi, I'd love to talk to you. Um, but they had one door, so he would stand there and shake everybody's hand and, and uh, people would say, good sermon, pastor. You know, just kind of encouraging him. And one Sunday, the pastor stood at the door and this guy came by and said, great sermon, pastor. And the guy was real emotional. It looked like he had really been touched by the word. And he said, pastor, what I need you to understand is my life has been transformed. He said this, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? And the pastor was like, thank you. God bless you. Next. And he went on down the line, and the pastor kind of thought, well, that guy was weird, which I would never think about you guys. But this guy, you know, he thought, well, that's weird. And the next week, the pastor preached again, and the same guy comes up. And he said, pastor, 
God is so good. God is so amazing. I just want you to know that the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? And the pastor said, I, I, I don't know. I'll get back to you. You know, have a good week. And the third week comes. Different sermon. And the same old guy gets up to the pastor and he, he's so emotional. He says, I can't believe I get to be here. Pastor, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? And the pastor's like, I, I tell you what, why don't we get together this week and we'll talk about the question? Because he was getting curious. And so they sit down to coffee that week and the pastor says, what's this whole question answer thing you got going on? The guy got really emotional. Not unlike my brother Everett that was up here earlier. He, he said, I need you to know and I need you to understand that I was really, really messed up. But he talked about how he was had an addiction, how he was neglecting his wife, his kids were in bad shape, his job was on the rocks, and he said, I came to church one week, and you preached a message, and it's like God opened my eyes, and I called on Jesus, and he said, now I'm a new person, and everything's different, nothing is the same, ask my wife, ask my children, ask my friends, everybody can see that I'm a different person because of Jesus, and he said, pastor, what I need you to understand is the answer is yes. Whatever you need, if you want me to mow the yard or pray for somebody or give to anything, whatever you need, middle of the day, middle of the night, God has so transformed my life that I am all in. The answer is yes. Now what's the question? How do we get to the place where we have the courage to pray a blank check prayer like that? Some of you are like me, you're doers. God made us that way, but we can get stuck where we want to know what we have to do. We don't really need to do anymore. We need to be in God's presence. We need to be who God has called us to be. And the doing will come with the being. Some of us are already trying to figure out what's going to happen. If I ask God to send me, I'm going to have to go, so I better pack my bag and make sure that my car is gassed up and my passport is current and I better learn all the languages and all the lands so that wherever God sends me, I will be prepared to communicate wherever I go. You need to stop it because I promise you, you cannot plan for the plan that God has for you. You're trying to do God's job. Don't do his job. Do yours. Just pray. But I don't need to know the details. All I know is that you're calling me. And if you're calling me, then the answer is yes. You truly experience the presence of God. You truly recognize your own sinfulness. And you truly experience God's grace. And when that happens, you don't have to. You get to live your whole life to God. Some people will say, here I am. I'm not going. Some people will say, here I am, God, send somebody else. But I declare today that you are going to be different because you are going to experience him. And then you are going to say, here I am, God, send me. Would you pray with me today? Father, we pray today that this would be an anchor message, that we would experience you in a way that our lives become different. God, make us aware of our sinfulness not to leave us in shame or guilt. Let it drive us to your son, Jesus, so we can experience your love and your grace through him. God, I pray we would have the courage to pray the same type of outrageous prayer as Isaiah. Here I am, God. Send me. 
You know, I have an agenda today. My job description is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But in every message I preach, my agenda is also to make sure that everyone hears the word and has an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. So I'm not going to sugarcoat anything about the life of a Christian. You've heard today that it can be hard, dangerous, unknown. But if you know Jesus today, then you know it's worth it. And if you don't know Jesus today, then I need you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you need to know him. You were created to have a relationship with God, and the only thing standing between you and that relationship is sin. Sin is what's wrong. It's what displeases God. It's what's bad for us. Don't let culture tell you that there is no right or wrong. Sin doesn't separate you from God's love, but it does separate you from his will for you. But God so loved the world, everyone in it, you and me included, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, fully God and fully man. He took on the sins of the world and he died a sinner's death on the cross to pay for our sins. And whoever believes in Jesus will have everlasting life. That means life abundant here on earth, not life easy or life exactly how we want, but life abundant, everything God intended it to be. And it means eternal life, living forever in the presence of God after death. That's saying yes to Jesus. And what's saying no to Jesus? Presently, it means not life abundant. Try all you want. But life without Jesus is no life at all because we were created to live life with him. And eternally, it means living forever out of the presence of God. It means hell, eternal punishment for our sins. The true horror of hell is that we will never again experience God's presence, not because he didn't choose us, but because we didn't choose him and he allows us to make that choice. And so now you know, and you will never be able to say that you didn't know, and you have a choice to make. Will you accept Jesus or won't you? And if you will this morning, then I'm gonna pray a prayer and the saints of God, those that know Jesus, are going to pray it with me. And if you're praying this prayer for the first time and you mean it in your heart, then you're saying yes to Jesus. You're saying yes to life abundant and to eternal life, but you're also saying yes to here I am, God. Send me. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive all my sins. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you always. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm proud of you, and I want you to tell me, or tell someone. You can put it on a Connect card, you can come talk to me, or if you came with someone today, tell them. Tell someone here. Because church, if someone tells you that they said yes to Jesus, you need to do something with that. Tell them congratulations and then take them on a journey. Make sure that they know their next steps. Church, it's about to get dangerous. In our last few moments together today, we are going to respond to the call of God this morning. How many of you guys have seen uh, the movie National Treasure? 
national treasure. Yeah, the only reason that we all know what the Declaration of Independence is, right? A few weeks ago, we celebrated Independence Day. It's a celebration of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which is a document uh, where the 13 colonies declared that they were independent of Great Britain. They wouldn't be under their rule. It was a step toward forming the United States of America. The thing we all learned from Nicolas Cage in National Treasure going to steal the Declaration of Independence. All right, or from Mr. Westfall's 10th grade history class, is that the Declaration of Independence was signed by several people that represented the 13 colonies. And it was risky to put your name on that document because once you did it, there was no going back. It was going to be sent to Great Britain and they were at war. They were going to fight for their independence from tyranny. And if I asked you who signed the Declaration of Independence, I bet you couldn't name all the signers. I dare you to come tell me all the names, and you could say whatever you want, because I don't know who signed it. But one of them that many of us know is John Hancock, right? He's known for having signed it in very large, ornate letters, and the, the legend is that he did that so King George could read it without his spectacles. He was just like, ha ha, John Hancock. Okay, doesn't matter. The point is, John Hancock was all in. In a sense, he was saying, no going back, here I am. He was involved in the fight for independence. We love and support our country and all the freedoms it affords us, but we pledge allegiance to a higher power. We're all in for Jesus. We'll put our money and our time and our energy and our resources and our skills where our mouth is. We will pray, here I am, send me. And so today, I'm going to ask for your John Hancock. You're entering into not a legal agreement, I promise. It's bigger than that. I want us to have a chance to show God, as the music comes up, a chance to show God that we are all in for whatever he wants from us. What does he want? Well, we're going to trust that he reveals that to us this week as we pray. But the challenge is not to ask God, what do you want, and then I'll decide. The challenge is to say, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? So I put some markers up here. Just gonna lay my little poster board. And I'm just gonna ask you to come forward after you've prayed, after you mean this prayer in your heart and sign your name somewhere on the board as big and John Hancock-like as you want as a symbol to God and to the community around you that no matter what God calls you to do, no matter how he calls you to do it, no matter when and where, your response is yes, God. And I'm not asking you to come up here if you don't mean it, because here's the deal. Once you say it, God is going to call you on it. Not because he's like, ha ha, I trapped you, but because he loves you and he has a plan for you. It's a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you a hope and a future. He is working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All he's waiting for is for you to agree and say, here I am. So it's up here this morning. We're gonna take a couple of minutes, just a couple, because we don't sit on the call of God. We respond to it. And if you're in the facility today, I want you to come up and sign it. If you're joining us online, I just want you to comment publicly. Here I am, God. Send me. And in just a moment, I'll come pray us out of this gathering. Many of you know that uh, we have a mission moment at the end of every gathering here at this campus.
It's a reminder of how you can go out and be the person that God called you to be, some practical tips to equip you to follow in the presence of God. Your mission moment this week is something that you shouldn't do. Please, don't be like me on Tuesday at my baby's t-ball game. I'd so much rather be a positive influence, and I, I hope and pray that I am, and I pray every morning, God, have your way in me, but I tell you this tale so that you don't live with the guilt and the shame that I have, and I know that I'm forgiven, but I also know I missed an opportunity. So this week, every single day, would you pray, here I am, God, send me, and then don't go back on your word. If he calls you to say something, say it. If he calls you to do something, do it. If he calls you to tell someone, what's it gonna cost you other than maybe their eternity? Here I am, God, send me. We've got some events coming up in the coming weeks. Um, specifically, we have our Healthy Parents Conference coming up at the end of August, and we don't want a parent that has kids at home to miss this. No matter how far along you are in your parenting journey, you can sign up at newlifeca.church slash healthyparents. And I want to remind you, Lathrop Campus, that beginning on the 15th, so not the next couple of weeks, but beginning on the 15th of August, we are moving to a 10.30 a.m. gathering. So you get a little extra sleep, or you can come early and say hello. Okay, I know you're going to take the extra half hour of sleep, but I'm grateful. Grateful to be a part of this great body and thankful for you. So I'd love to see you as you make your way out today. Love to connect with you. May God bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every single good work. God bless you, church. You're dismissed. Thank you.